Good evening and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where NFL legends live. Join us tonight as we get more legendary stories from former players and coaches who were in the huddles, on the sidelines, and in the locker room. Plus insights from media members from around the country who have covered the game for decades. Check out our five-star picks of the week with former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Plus, our Spotlight on the Positive segment. And here are some good things for a change about what players and teams are doing in their community. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Go get them, guys. folks and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate where your favorite NFL legends live. You got Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazeri back with you as we get you ready for week number 13 in the NFL. Bob, how are you, my friend? Doing all right? Hey, Chris. Happy December, my friend. How's everything down there? <laughs> right back at you. How was Thanksgiving, your nape of the vine? I was very good, Chris. You know, any holiday we can just sit back, watch football, and eat all day. That that was right? terrific. And the way they had them spread out, you know, twelve thirty, four thirty, eight thirty. I mean, you basically sat in front of your TV from noon till midnight. And um, I mean, who can complain about that? You know. And being in an Italian family, Chris, I'm not a big turkey eater, but I was sure to have a lot of lasagna and trimmings with that. So it was a cool. For you. It was a cool uh, holiday. Yeah, same here. A lot of great food. Got to spend some time. With my uh, with my parents and the kids, so it was fantastic for us. To your point, got to eat a lot of really good food. My mom really did it up, so uh, we had a great time. And you're right, any time you can have great food, pick at it all day long, sit in front of your TV from you know early part of the day all the way to the end, and you get back to back football. Had a lot of good games, Bob. All of them, oh, yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. So you know that the D- Detroit Lions don't let the record fool you. Those guys playing really good football up there in, in Buffalo, and I gave our good friend Angelo Kane a hard time because they barely got out of there beating the beating the Lions. Those guys are putting up a heck of an effort, Bob. Yeah, they they. I have a lot of well, I won't say a lot, but I have some Lion friends, Chris, that have been really you know, going back to the Wayne Font days. I mean, it's been a struggle for a long time for them. You know, the Billy Sims days. I mean, they. Uh, they, it's nice to see them at least making strides. You know, they're not going to win anything this year, but just to see them improve under a new coach is, is very refreshing. Uh, it just makes that, that old black and blue division the more fun to watch. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, to your point, watching them struggle for the decades that they've struggled to see them starting, it feels like they're turning the corner. So I'm rooting yeah. for the Detroit Lions and the, and the folks up there that, they get to have a good season next year, and uh, the Lions arrow starts to point up. And speaking of improving, boy, Bob, this past Monday night was was you know good for my heart because I got to enjoy a second straight Steelers win on Monday night. And we saw Kenny Pickett probably have the best game that he's played so far. So I'm feeling hopeful about him. I'm seeing some some things. I mean, look, he's a rookie quarterback. It's going to take him some time, but it seems like the building blocks are there. And uh, he'll finish out the season. I'm hopefully strong. And then next year, who knows? But uh, I like what I'm seeing from the kid. Well, there's been 
slow improvement, Chris. And again, I think he was thrown into the wolves. Uh, we've talked about this on the show. You know, sure, he was a number one pick, and we talked to Greg Lloyd about it. You know, there's big expectations. But, I mean, with today's complex offenses and and, and even complex defenses, a guy like him coming to the league, you know, he needed a little bit. You know, th- there's a class of quarterbacks that come right in and do it, Chris. I don't think he was one of them. But with the right tutelage and uh, being, you know, eased into it, you know, I think he's going to do terrific. And you're seeing slowly certain good things happening. And, uh, hey, at 4-7, and seven, to say they still have a shot is crazy, but they still have a shot. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, I guess, you know, realistically they do, but uh, or, yeah. or I guess record-wise they do realistically, not so much. But uh, I'm just I'm just want to see him continue to uh, to take steps forward and look like he did Monday night, so that uh, we can get into the off season and look ahead to the 23 season with a lot of hope. And I think we're we're starting to see that. Yep. And you mentioned being thrown to the wolves, and the wolves are going to be out, Bob, in Cleveland because this is the week Deshaun Watson's suspension comes to an end. And some of the women that are suing him are saying that they're going to be there in Cleveland, you know, for the game. What do you expect? from the Browns fans on Sunday, and do you think that they're going to embrace him as long as he plays well? Do you think they're going to boo him? What do you think is going to happen when Deshaun Watson takes the field? You know, it's a, it's a, I hate to use the word, but it, it is kind of a fascinating dynamic uh, this coming weekend in that stadium, Chris. I think you're going to get uh, kind of a chorus of, of half and half, you know, um, Cleveland probably wanting uh, a, a very good quarterback to come back. And of course, a lot of people, uh, you know, that are on the women's side and everything. And like you said, the 10 women are supposedly going to be there in a box kind of a sign of solidarity. Uh, that's pretty intense. You know, uh, when you throw the whole thing into this mix and reading about it this week, you know, but the bottom line is, and I was reading an article by, you know, the great ex New York Times writer Bill Roden today. And, you know, he said, you know, basically, you know, winning will change a lot of minds. We're in a society now, Chris, where, you know, you win and then people forget people's transgression. That's just the way our society works. You know, if this guy were to win three out of four games, you're going to hear less and less booze. As bad as some people don't want to hear that, that's the reality of really sports today and society in general. So you're going to see that, again, if he wins, all will be forgiven. Well, maybe not everything, but you know what I mean. And if he loses, it may get very ugly there. Taking a, a different turn, speaking of the Cleveland Browns and a quarterback position, Jacoby Brissett has played pretty well this season, Bob. What do you think this has done for his stock? And do you think he's just going to remain a journeyman backup? Or have we seen what he can really do if you turn his talents loose? You know, he's the odd man out here. It's, it's, it's kind of a sad story, Chris, because as you said, he's had a very decent year. I mean, he had decent years, as you know, in Indianapolis, 17 and 19. Uh, he was actually on pace this year to bypass those stats. Um, you know, has a good touchdown interception ratio. Um, and you know, I, I guess you might want to put him in the position or category of game manager, but you know, he does it in a way where, I mean, he's rushed for over a couple hundred yards. He can, uh, I mean, in any case, Chris, to answer your question, his stock's gone up, uh, probably as a very, very good backup. 
you know, you can make some good bucks in this league as, as a very well-touted <laughs> yeah. backup because with the injuries and all, Chris. But uh, in a way, I feel sorry for him because he'll lose his starting position. But uh, there, you, trust me, there's people out there watching and they're noticing the guy, 30 years old, he's in his prime, and I, I wish him the best of luck. Chris. Yeah, same here. And speaking of the Browns and uh, their opponent this past week, the Tampa Bay Bucks. They go there. They, they beat the Bucks in overtime on Sunday. The Bucks are now about five and six, and they're twenty seventh in average points scored per game at a shade over eighteen. Who would have ever thunk that of a Tom Brady led offense? What has happened to Tampa Bay this season? You just kind of mentioned the offense, Chris. The only, I guess, just the surprising, the only team worse than them on offense is the Rams. Can you picture that? Right? right? A, you know, Super Bowl team and everything. Uh, but as far as, you know, Brady, I mean, Brady's played well, Chris. I mean, his interception TD is, is excellent as usual. Uh, his, his completion percentage is very good. You know, he's already talked, you know, could he get back to New England if he's going to stay playing? They want him back here. Um, but if you look at their offense, you know, Godwin is their top receiver. You know, you wouldn't expect that with some other guys in that lineup. Julio Jones really hasn't panned out. Chris has been hurt, hasn't played much. Uh, if you look at their yards per catch, there's really, you know, there is a lot of weapons on that offense, but there's no real breakaway kind of talent. Uh, if you look at like they're all average per yard catch, they're all pretty low. And, uh, they're rushing, I think they're rushing on the season is about 800 yards. That's way below average. You know, Fournette is not playing well. Uh, I don't think, you know, and don't take this the wrong way. I mean, I never really liked Bowles as a head coach, you know, in New York, he kind of, Showed what he had. I mean, didn't have much to work with, but he was just made a lot of bad decisions. I don't think he's a great NFL. I think he's another one of those guys we talk to a lot about. There, you know, there's certain guys who are just coordinators. They're not head coaches, and he's one of them. So all those things combined, Chris, five and six, and guess what? They're in first place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is the crazy thing. They think at five and six, they're in first place, and uh, you know. Based on the rest of that division, because a lot of those teams are, are, are pretty bad, they, they could sew up a, a division championship here in a couple of weeks. To your point, maybe maybe you know going back to a few years ago when Seattle got in at seven and nine, but the Bucks may end up being the, the worst uh, playoff team ever. We'll see how it turns out. And you mentioned Super Bowl team. Speaking of that, Aaron Donald is set to miss his first game of his NFL career on Sunday with a high ankle sprain. And following the Super Bowl, you know, he started talking about, hey, you know what, hey, I might retire here, right? Even leading up to it, he started talking about, hey, if we get a win here, I get a ring. You know, I, I could bow out. He decided to come back and play this season. Five sacks on this season, not what we would expect from Aaron Donald at a, after 11 games. Uh, he's only had one sack in his last six games. Now you start to wonder, is this a guy, Bob, that maybe should have gone out? Maybe he played one season too many? Well, the thing is, Chris, think about it. I mean, they're three and eight now. If they're eight and three, we're not having this discussion, right? I mean, it's, it's one of those deals where everything is 2020 looking back now. I mean, this is a guy, I mean, like you said, only five sacks. Well, for him, only five sacks. A lot of other guys would love to have five sacks, <laughs> but he is probably, and, and you've watched him play. He's probably one of the most double-teamed guys I've ever seen, you know, so he's he's always, I mean, think about what he's done 
over the years, and even this year up to a point. I mean, it's not like he's playing at a bad level. I mean, if we're talking about his removal from the game, it's not about his ability. It's if we could have seen the loss of, you know, Cooper Cup, if we could have seen, you know, the quarterback getting hurt and them, their offense just struggling, all this thing. I mean, their defense isn't really playing that bad, Chris. So, um, you know, I mean, yeah, looking back, he probably, it might be in his mind now, well, it would have been nice to go out Super Bowl where they will not win the Super Bowl this year. We know that. <laughs> and, you know, he's not getting younger. So I, he's not going to get better. I mean, this guy was at such a level. And he's still at a high level, but he's not going to get better, Chris. So um, you wonder if this might be it for him. But as far as ability, I think he's still playing well, but the team is just um, underachieving. All right, let's move along and let's get into our Unsung Heroes of the Week awards. And, um, Bob, looking back at last Sunday, maybe Monday, who were, who was a player that uh, maybe a little bit lesser known that really stuck out to you? You know, I'm going to go with Ty Johnson from the Jets, Chris. He had a, you know, this is a guy, kind of guy you and I like, a sixth-round draft pick. You know, he's been in the league a few years now. Um, but six round draft pick, you know, originally with the Lions. And if you, if you look at his history, you know, uh, you know, signed to the practice squad, cut, signed again. Uh, you know, then the Jets signed him. Been in the, for the Jets a couple years, you know, only had nine carries coming into last week's game, Chris. They carried the ball five times for 62 yards. If you look at his, as a few times he's carried the ball in his career, his averages are like four and a half yards per carry. He's just, been playing, you know, behind guys where he can never break in the lineup. He also caught a pass in last week's game. You know, he had a catch for 16 yards, I think, too. So, you know, Ty Johnson, Ty Johnson, guy, you know, had a great, uh, great career at Maryland, but, you know, sixth round draft pick, didn't ex- expect much, but it's good to see him getting some touches in New York. And, uh, that was a good reason why they did so well last week. So kudos to Ty Johnson. We love talking about these guys that don't get the credit for that's absolutely right. Good for him. Good for you for choosing him. My unsung hero is going to go to Bengals running back Sam Pirine. He has stepped in for an injured Joe Mixon over the last couple of weeks, and all he's done is score four touchdowns, contribute about 100 yards of offense each week, and was really the difference in their wins over my Steelers and the Titans. He had three receiving touchdowns coming out of the backfield against the Steelers, then rushing, then had a rushing touchdown, seven targets this past Sunday against uh, the Titans in Nashville. He was a fourth-round pick by the Commanders going back to 2017 out of Oklahoma. And at Oklahoma, he was a guy used to carrying the ball about 225 times a season, averaging over 1,200 yards rushing. But prior to the last few weeks, the guy's only getting one or two carries and one or two targets a game, steps in for, for Mixon, and then just goes off the last couple of weeks. So that's why Sam P. Ryan is my unsung hero of the week five. Great guy coming out of nowhere. Yeah, it's, uh, again, uh, it, it's like we always have, we have never have any trouble finding these guys, Chris. So there's always, with the injuries in the game now and everything, we're always going to be able to do this segment. 100%. It's time for another edition of Bob's Take. So, Bob, tell us what's on your mind tonight. Let's get into 
to this week's edition of Bob's Take. We got our first guest hanging on the line, Bill Moss. We're going to get to Bill in just a moment. Bob, I want to start by getting your thoughts on Mike White's performance last week at quarterback for the Jets. He led them to a win over the Bears, threw for 315 yards, three touchdowns. The Jets decided to bench Zach Wilson because he really wasn't playing all that well. They leapfrog uh, White over Joe Flacco on the depth chart to get him the start. Is this a guy now? Is Mike White the guy who has really got the quarterback job? It's now his to lose? Oh, absolutely, Chris. I, I I tweeted out as soon as after the first couple of possessions, I said they are just a much better team without him. You know, Wilson obviously has some talent, Chris, but uh, kind of a loose cannon at this point. You know, running all over the field, making bad decisions, trying to win games. White seems White's still a young guy, only a couple years experience, Chris, but seems to be more that Robert Sala. You know, let's win with the defense, but have a guy you know minimize offensive. Uh, problems and off offensive mistakes. So yeah, I mean I can't see I mean I would start start Flacco and place Wilson also, but White at this point, Chris, gotta let him go. I mean that guy played like he's been playing all year, right? The other day. So why not have him keep doing what he's doing? Um and uh Wilson just, you know, to look, learn and 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 just kind of uh, look toward the future. Bob, the Vikings got a big win over the Patriots last week. Mac Jones played pretty well in the loss, 382 and two touchdowns. But at six and five, tonight they got a, a, a big game against the Bills. Is the Patriots season on the line tonight? Well, if they lose, Chris, they'll be at six and six. Uh, not out of it by any stretch of the imagination this year. But you'd like to, that, that would be a momentum game, you know, saying that now we can play with a Super Bowl quality team. Uh, and we're going to be here till the end. I mean, I think it's a big mental uh, test for New England. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to pull this one off, but, um, you know, it is important, but I wouldn't say it's season on the line. Uh, but again, uh, it's, they just, Mac Jones played very well, Chris. It just seems at times their offense goes to sleep, didn't run that well last week. Uh, inconsistent. You know, they, they need to get a good offensive coordinator. One more, Bob. And the Commanders have quietly won three in a row, six of their last seven. But no one's given the Commanders any love out there. Their defense hasn't allowed more than 21 points in any of those last seven games, no more than 16 points in four of them. They play the Giants this week, then they have a bye, and then guess what? They get the Giants right back after that. But when is it time to start taking the Commanders seriously? Well, hey, I mean, two games over 500, and they're considered in last place at this point. So that's uh, you got to give Rivera credit. He's probably the coach of the year right now. You know, even though this is a team, let's get real, Chris. I mean, they've given up more than they scored. Heineke or Wentz, they're kind of game managers at this point. You know, their their TD to interception ratios are not that good. I think in the end, they're just not going to be able to hang, hang, hang with people offensively. But you're right. Defensively, they're well. Rivera's, you know, that's where his, uh, uh, that's where he's looking at. I mean, he's a defensive mind. But, um, you know, good for them. I mean, at this point, you gotta, for what they've dealt with with the Snyders and everything else, I mean, for them to still be in the thick of it right now, a couple games over 500, uh, I mean, some people were high on the team. I wasn't, but they're surprising me. And, uh, I, I you gotta kind of root. Yeah, you do. 
All right, folks, there you go. That's this week's edition of Bob's Take. We got a jam-packed show for you tonight featuring our guests, Bill Moss, Tony Collins, Vincey Glenn, and Dwight Hollier. We'll be right back with Bill Moss on the other side of this real quick station break. You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. It's him. He's All right. Now back with us is former Kansas City Chiefs Pro Bowl defensive tackle Bill Moss. Let me remind you about Bill's background. He's from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, played his college ball at the University of Pittsburgh, where he was named an All-American in 1982. Bill was the fifth overall selection in the 1984 draft by the Kansas Chiefs. He was named the NFL Rookie of the Year by the Associated Press that season, and he went to -to back-to-back Pro Bowls in 1986 and 87, played in the league from 84 to 1993, and all but one of those seasons was with the Chiefs. He played his last year in Green Bay. He is 14th on the Chiefs' all-time sack list, and over the course of his career, he had 40 sacks, recovered eight fumbles, and scored two touchdowns. And we're very excited. He is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Bill, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming back on the Hi, show. Hi, Bill. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on. How's everything back there? Ah, fantastic. Well, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Just uh, just sitting here and watching the beginning of this Thursday Night Football game. and uh, Just I love following the game. Still a big part of it. Uh, big part of my life. Bill, I want to start our time with you by going back to your days at Pitt. I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm a huge Pitt fan. Last year's team made me feel like maybe the program's on its way back to where it used to be when you were there. Eight and four this year. Not bad. Certainly better than where they've been uh, over the, the last decade or two. How do you feel about where the program's at? You know, it's so tough now. College football's landscape has changed so drastically. Chris, I mean, you know, just just think about it, if you had to deal with uh, the portal that's coming up this year, transport portal. It's like you have to recruit a kid once, and then you got to recruit him again to stay, you know, the following year. Um, things change so much uh, that you're never quite sure. I do like the fact that they've had some stability uh, under Narduzzi. You know, I think that's the big thing because, um, hey, we've changed coaches so many times that uh, – you know, the ups and downs and ebb and flows isn't, isn't good for recruiting. I mean, it's a good sound structure in a program and it needs a good foundation. I think Narduzzi gives them that. Um, so, you know, I, and that's why I think you're seeing it gradually, gradually, gradually improving. With Ohio State and Penn State just a couple hours in either direction, Bill, do you think, is it possible for Pitt to recruit well enough to be a, an annual playoff contender? Yeah, I, you know, I think so. Um, I, and, and the reason I say that is because, you know, the, the East, uh, up and down the East Coast still fields a lot of great talent, you know, and, um, finding the assistant coaches that are able to go out and recruit, that's a big part of it too. Um, and um, you know, unfortunately we've had a lot of turnover in that aspect, uh, on the assistant coaching side. Um, but yeah, I, I think you can compete. Look, it's no different. Ohio State and Penn State were there when I was there too. Um, and there's an abundance of talent everywhere. It's the energy that you draw from off of one another and the ability to push each other. The collection of talent 
that was there in the in the eighties and nineties was, you know, unbelievable. But Ohio State was turning out Chris Carters and but people like that. Penn State was turning out uh great players as well. Uh there's enough to go around and Pittsburgh should be right in the mix there. Bill, during your time at Pitt, and you played on defense with guys like Hugh Green, Ricky Jackson, Tom Flynn, Tim Lewis, and then you're going up against guys at practice like Russ Grimm, Jimbo Covert, Mark May, Emil Boris, Dan Marino, obviously at practice. Talk about, talk about what it was like for you at practice going up against that old line, guys that were going to end up in the NFL having fantastic careers, and then of course, you're, you're going up against a future Hall of Famer quarterback trying to make a name for yourself. What was that like for you? Yeah, so it it forced you to become better. And I look back at that time and, and talk about it a lot. And the reason I do is because there were so many great players on that team. And because we were 18, 19 years old, you know, we didn't know. We're just out there and, and we're Pittsburgh and, and loving it and having fun. And then you step on the football field at training camp and at practice day in, day out. And it was just fierce competition. You know, I had to line up and go against Jimbo Covert almost every single day. I did. And Mark May and, and Russ Grimm and, uh, Bill Fraley every day. And, and so, um, that's going to force you to either sink or swim. There's, there's no other choice. You're either, you're, you're either going to be able to find a way to compete or you're going to be done. Uh, Chris Dolman was there with me too. I mean, we, we had guys all over that defense and all over that offensive line that were all pros at every level and then a lot of Hall of Famers as well. So it, it was a unique time uh, and, and we took pride in the competition. We'd be angry at each other. Uh, we, we'd fight, we'd cry, and we'd uh, laugh and party and go win together. And that bond will, will never be broken. Was practice so hard that when you got to game day on Saturday, that was the easy part? Practice was so hard that when I got to the Kansas City Chiefs as a rookie, it was easy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the truth. I mean, I was going to going against those guys every single day, and I get drafted by the Chiefs and come out here. I'm like, what? No way. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, questions for Bill? Yeah, it's great to speak with you, Bill, and welcome to the show. We uh, sometimes we like to delve into somebody's background before they even get to to uh, their college uh, place of playing. But as far as yourself growing up in the Philadelphia area, Bill, talk about the sports you played. Um, you know, do you think it was a great idea to play multi sports, and how you landed at Pittsburgh? Yeah, so I did. I played. Everything at every chance I could. I was never home. I, I had to be outside. Uh, I was always late for dinner and that was an issue because I was out playing sports somewhere. Um, that was just, it was just in my makeup at a real young age. Um, and you know, I was, I played, I was in ice skating. I played ice hockey. I was a skier. I skied. I, I played baseball. I played soccer. I played basketball. I wrestled. Uh, everything that was out there that was available, I did, young kid. Um, and, you know, I thought I could, uh, you know, come to Pittsburgh and, and, and give it a chance. And I remember I had coaches 
at my high school. It was like, we, we don't want to go there. That's a football powerhouse, football factory. You'll get just swallowed up and eaten up. And when I went there on my recruiting trip uh, with my parents, it was just, it, it just felt like family. You know, it, it was at the other end of the state, but it was such a, it was, it was really different. You know, in Philadelphia, they would never have high school football on the news in Philadelphia. Um, it just, it didn't exist. And you go out to the western side of the state, they got the WPIAL playoff on television and everybody's covered. It's on the news. I'm like, wow, this is unbelievable. And, um, it just, it just felt right. Jackie Sherrill was, was the key ingredient there to bring all those guys together and, and make them all family. And he really was. And he's still a big part of all our lives today. Uh, he texts us and calls us and we have get togethers back at, at, uh, in Pittsburgh. And, uh, he still, you know, heads it all up. Um, it, it's a, it's just a, it was a great time in my life. You know, it was, and I think that, I think that all the guys feel that because anytime there's an opportunity to get together, everybody does it. They all go back. I, I have all those guys you just talked about, except for the ones that have passed away on a text message. The group, that group text and all the time, they're texting all the time. It, it never stops. And, and it's fun just to have that bond and, and Jack Sherrill's on that, on that chain as well. Bill, I think every time this comes up all the time, Chris and I talk to somebody with Pennsylvania roots as far as, you know, Pennsylvania being not thought of like maybe your Texas or, or maybe California as far as your hotbed of high school football that leads to colleges. But, you know, I, I would watch teams at the division two level like Indiana and Slippery Rock and, and those teams back in the nineties. The that were playing at such a high level at Division Two. I mean, a lot of these guys just couldn't get into Pitt and Penn State. But talk about Pennsylvania as a hotbed. I think it goes well under the radar. Yeah, it does, and I think it has to do with 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 the same uh, mentality and makeup as you have in Texas and in Florida. Um, uh-huh. the, the the hotbed recruiting areas. It's it's a Strong family, it's blue collar, and there's an innate there's an innate toughness uh, instilled in most of those kids. Uh, a desire to to compete and a desire to to want to be good, and, and a desire to have an opportunity to do better than than maybe where they came from. Uh, I think that's a common denominator, and, and um, Pittsburgh and and the state of Pennsylvania as a whole, you know, has you know that that's a fitting description of, of most of people and families in those states. So, yeah, I mean, there's so much talent there. And, and the fact that it's ingrained in you at a young age when you're growing up and watching that stuff on the news where the importance of playing high school football and competing for state championship is, is such a big thing. And, you know, it's a, when, it's a, when those things are ingrained in your mind, you want to be a part of them. And I, I think that's, I, I think that's a great thing for all kids. Look, people are looking for avenues to, to do anything to get out of bad situations as a, as a kid now. And, you know, there's all kinds of programs set up for this and that. Sports is the greatest avenue to help a young man 
find a way to to overcome anything. And you, you learn so many things from playing a team sport that can apply to being successful in life. Um, overcoming obstacles and, and um, challenges and adversities, uh, learning to work together as a team, even though you might, might even like the guy beside you. Put yourself in an office position now, and and those things occur on a day to day basis. And you know, sports and, and being a part of a team teaches you all those fundamentals at a young age, and it just carries over. And I, you know, I, I I'm I'm glad to say that. A big part of my life because it's been very helpful, and I, I would encourage um, parents out there that are thinking about whether sports or kids can play or can't play. To, um, don't don't turn away from from youth football because it's a big part of kids' lives to, to turn them into young men. Bill, the Sugar Bowl on New Year's Day, nineteen eighty-two, the game against Georgia, is one of my all-time favorite games. One of the most exciting games. I'd ever watched the John Brown catch to win it on fourth and five with 42 seconds left. You know, Danny didn't try to throw to the six to get, just get the first down. He lets it fly from the 33 and it's a gets into the end zone and and Brown makes a great catch. Where were you during that play? And what's going through your mind when all of a sudden you see Marino go deep? So here, here was the choice. Uh, and, and, I was there. I was in the middle of it. There was a timeout was called right before that. Jackie Sherrill, uh, Dan came over to the sidelines. And, uh, I, I, I was just standing outside of the group that was huddled together listening. And I was there. Dave Zuli was there with me. Uh, my other defensive end and Chris Ullman. And, um, I heard the conversation. It was clear. Danny said, just as clear as day, Jackie tells the story regularly. He said, I came here to win this thing. We're throwing the ball. We're going for it. And they called that play and it was open down the middle of the field. They knew that the, the coverage that they had, they, they were playing all afternoon, all evening. And they hit John Brown right down the scene. I mean, it was right in the end zone, right, right between the safeties and he drilled a bullet right in, right in his chest. Um, and I remember I was standing there and I heard the call. We were kind of holding hands on the sidelines and watching, and it was it was exhilarating to say the least. And Bill, you go on to be the fifth overall pick in the '84 draft. Did you know the Chiefs were interested in you, and were other teams calling leading up to the draft, maybe even draft day, to to talk to you about potentially whether you were going to be a Chief or maybe going somewhere else? Yeah, that's a great question, Bobby. It's funny that you know, like. I played in the East-West Shrine game. I, I played in the Senior Bowl. And those were the, the two bowls at that time that they really worked you. You know, it wasn't like the Hula Bowl in Hawaii. They, was, they really worked you and all the scouts would go to those games. Um, and so I had that whole, up to the draft, that whole winter, um, I had gone to visit teams. Uh, I talked with almost every team. Um, and so the, the two teams that told that San Diego had the fourth pick in the draft and Philadelphia had sixth pick in the draft. And they both told me they were taking. I had never, they called me all the time. They, they both told me, yep, listen, if you're there, we're taking it. Um, and, and so Kansas City, I, I'd never heard from them ever. 
Um, and so when draft day came, I was thinking, you know, I was with my parents and, and I was thinking, Hey, you know, I'm either going to be out in California and San Diego, beautiful place, or I'm going to be back in my hometown of Philadelphia. Just, you know, great, great situation to be in. And that didn't transpire. Kansas City grabbed me at five and, uh, I've been here ever since. So, uh, I don't know what would have been the other places, but I, I know that uh, my time here was great. Didn't get the opportunity to get to where we wanted to be. Um, but Patrick Mahomes and company are, are making up for that for me right now. <laughs> no doubt. Just a couple more before we let you go, Bill. And, um, the Pitt Penn State rivalry was huge back in the day. I hate that, that they don't play very often. We had a, a home and home here not that long ago, but that was such a huge rivalry yeah. back in the day. And, yeah. um, I know you spent, uh, you know, some time chasing Todd Blackledge around in the backfield and you, you get drafted by the Chiefs and, and now all of a sudden he's your quarterback. What was that like? Yeah. So, it, well, it was, you know, it, it wasn't awkward or weird. It, you know, it, that, rivalries are great. You know, I, I, I love them. And I think that, you know, it's a shame that money uh, had to destroy rivalries, and it still does. You know, you see um, all these conferences falling apart over money. As teams are jumping from one conference to another, just so they can get more money. You know, and, and it takes away, and you lose, you lose rivalries. You know, out here it was Missouri Kansas was a big rivalry, right? Then Missouri went to the SEC and took away that rivalry. You know, they're about two hours apart and, and now they can't play the border war anymore. And so when Pitt Penn State kind of the same thing, and that fell apart is it's really a shame because rivalries are what makes sports and rivalries are what keeps fan bases on both sides. Um and you and you hate to see them go away. But the players understand, you know, you may play at that time and have, you know, a lot of uh, angst against the team you're playing and it means a lot and it, and it fuels your fire to go out and play emotionally. But when all that's gone on the side, I mean, you're just guys and, and you laugh about it and you talk about it. And, uh, that's what, that's what Todd and I did when we were teammates. It was, it was a rivalry. I had a few other Penn State guys that were on the team at the time too, in Mark Robinson and Scott Radisek. And, you know, it was always a, a topic of discussion. Um, and then if when we played, we, we'd have the friendly bets and things of that nature. And it was always good fun, but but the rivalries were always always a, a big deal, and I, I hate to see them dwindling down. Bob, one more for Bill before we let him go. Yeah, sure, Bill. Just back to that rookie year, '84 in Kansas City under Makovic. Uh, as far as you went in the AP Defensive Player of the Year. You had coaches like Walt Corey, Dave Brazil. Yeah. Obviously, you had no problem uh, adjusting and playing at such a high level. What do you attribute to the, sec- the su- success so quickly? Was it those coaches or some of the players around you? Talk about that. Yeah, so when you're, you know, it's the players around you. You're only as good as the players around you. And, and you know, uh, to, to be able to compete, you can take one guy out of any play you want. If you've got one guy and, and no help, you, you're gone. You're, you're, you're not going to be a guy. 
But when you have other people around you um, that need to be taken care of as well, that's big. So when I got there, I had Art Still, a perennial All-Pro, on one end. I had Mike Bell on the other end, which transitioned over time in my career to uh, Derek Thomas and Neil Smith on both sides of me. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you can't take one away. There's only, you know, there's only, you can only double so many. And then the guy with a one-on-one is going to win. And so that was, that was a big factor. And at that time, my rookie year, I came in and the league didn't know anything about me. And, you know, they knew about Art Still and Mike Bell. So they drew the attention and they drew the double teams. And, and I had the opportunity to beat one-on-ones. And I got enough sacks to, to help recognition uh, of the AP. And also, you're playing up front. You better have a good secondary, too. And we had that. When you're talking about uh, Kevin Ross, Albert Lewis, Deron Cherry, and uh, Lloyd Burris, um, that helps. And, and so, yeah, it's the people around you that, that make you good. And don't let anybody tell you anything different. Bill, remind our listeners what you're doing now. I'm still here in Kansas City. Uh, still part of the youth organization aspect of we have a group of about 45 of us, uh, former Chiefs players that are, uh, called the Chiefs Ambassadors. Um, we help out with the team's community outreach department. Uh, there's a lot of requests to do stuff. So we're still active in the community. There's a lot of needs for hospital visits and uh, the VA and schools, children's hospitals and, and whatnot. So we're, we're still an active part of that and helping out in that aspect. Uh, we go to the stadium and do sweet visits, you know, help out with the fans. It's, it's a good situation. It's one of the only, uh, alumni programs in the entire NFL that has anything like it. And the Chiefs do a great job with it. So I'm safe in Kansas City. Uh, I got dug in here after uh, being here for so long and having the kids here. So, um, I'm active in commercial real estate. And uh, just enjoying, enjoying my time, enjoying what the Chiefs are doing right now. Uh, all's good, Chris, Bob. All's good. I'm blessed. That's good news. Bill, how can our listeners stay up to date with what you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's on social media? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm on social media. But, uh, on Twitter, at Bill Moz. Um, I'm on Facebook, uh, Bill Moz. And uh, Instagram, I keep for a family. So, that's it. You follow me on those those two. Well, Bill, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a thrill for Bob and I to get to spend some time with you, hear your stories and your insights. We hope you'll come back and do it again soon. Always, guys. I enjoy being with you. I follow you guys well, and you guys do a great job. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks. Happy holidays care. to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. You as well. Bye-bye. Good night. See you, Bill. That is the great Bill Moss. Boy, I tell you what, Bob, that pit team that he was a part of for those years, unbelievable. I can't believe, I still can't believe all these years later, they didn't win a national championship. All the talent they had. Yeah, he kept throwing those names out, Chris, and I didn't realize, you know, they were all playing together, you know, at the same time. We wonder why they were so good at that time, but man, uh, but he's right. You know, you play against those guys at practice, uh, then a Chiefs practice becomes easy. That's, that's intense. Yeah. All right, we've got our next guest, Tony Collins, with our five-star picks of the week hanging on the line. We're going to get to Tony on the other side of this real quick station break. 
This is Reggie Kelly, former Cincinnati Bengals and Atlanta Falcons tight end, and you're listening to TNT Thursday Night Tailgate. Brace yourself for the explosion. All right, now back here on Thursday Night Tailgate to take us through our five-star picks of the week. It's former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Tony, how's your heart going tonight? Hi, Tony. How you doing, Chris and Bob? <laughs> good, We're Tony. fantastic, Tony. How you holding up? I'm holding up pretty good. We got a 7-3 lead right now, so I'm fine. <laughs> there you go. 100%. <laughs> I know you're busy. We want to get you back to the game. We don't want to hold you up too long. So let's get right into our picks for this week. And we're going to start out with tonight's game with the 8-3 Bills visiting your 6-5 and five Patriots. Bills are actually three-and-a-half-point favorites, so they got a lot of ground to make up down 7-3 at this point. But, Tony, are you going to be – who who is going to be paying off a bet at the end of the night? You or Angelo Kane? Okay. Okay, so so here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get my trophy back, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to bet with my heart anymore with you guys. I got I got, I got to bet logically because I got to get back into the swing of things because I think I'm probably – you are. The, the Patriots are winning right now, and I like the what like what they're doing. But the Patriots don't know how to close games right now, and, and you know I just as as bad as I hate to say this, don't listen. I'm doing it because I'm trying to get back to get the trophy. So what I'm saying is, I want the Patriots to win, but they're not going to win tonight because the Bills oh. got too much offense. Oh, oh, oh. The Tony they, Collins, they have too much. first time ever picking against his Patriots. Too, they, Are you kidding me? Hold on, have, I got to pick my. <laughs> they have too much offense, so I'm I'm going I'm going with the Bills tonight. Gonna be a close game, but the Bills just have enough to get us through. So Bills winning twenty seven twenty four. Wow, I can't believe my ears. Holy smokes! I, I, I hate I, I I hate saying that. And I really well, I'm going to send a recording of this to Angelo Kane <laughs> as soon as we're done tonight. Holy smokes. Bob, is, is, is you know, Tony delirious? Very... What What do you got? No, I mean, I have it very similar to Tony. I mean, I had Buffalo 31-24, Chris. I, I just don't like what I've seen from New England secondary lately. And I think Tony's exactly right. Closing out games is a problem for them. Um, again, you, what you said earlier, you know, is, is it a win it's a major week where they have to win. Uh, you know, again, it, there's still a lot of the season to play, but I, Buffalo, I mean, that's my Super Bowl pick, and I, I just don't see them not being able to score 30 points here. 31-24, Buffalo. Wow. And here I sit, Tony, in my Tony Collins Patriots jersey, and I hear you pick the Bills. I, I'm, I'm stunned. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. Um, and I tell you what, I, and here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm telling you, the Patriots are going to win this game, and, and I'm going to tell you why. I don't like what I'm seeing from Josh Allen over the last few weeks. Seems to have regressed just a little bit, back to overthrowing guys at times, making bad decisions in crunch time. They should have lost to the Lions last week. They snatched defeat from the jaws of victory against the Vikings the week before that. Patriots defense is ninth against the pass, sixth in points allowed. Guess what? They win this game. I know they're up 7-3 right now, but I think they win the game. I got the same score as you, Tone. 27-24, I'm taking the Patriots. Our second game 
This week is the seven and four Jets going to the nine and two Vikings. Vikings are a three point home favorite. Tony, both of these teams have exceeded expectations, probably far exceeded expectations this season. Which one of them is going to keep it going? You know, I've been telling people the Vikings are the worst team with the best record in the league. That uh, I, I mean, it, they they always seem to, to give a give a chance to win games, but they're not that good. But they keep winning, and the Jets. I don't even know who the Jets quarterback is. So I, you know, Vikings <laughs> playing at home. Jefferson. I mean, this this kid, man from LSU, is just incredible. I. I, he, he catches everything that comes. He's unstoppable and the Jets cannot stop him. So I'm going, I'm going Vikings. I'm really putting a, putting a, a, a pallet on the, on the Jets. 37 Oh my goodness. There's our Tony Collins blowout special of the week. Bob, what do you think? Tony, right? I have a 34 20 Minnesota, Chris. So I have to go with the Vikings. Uh, you know, as good as Mike White played last week, Cousins, you know, it's been, Minimizing the mistakes, as Tony said, you know, Jefferson, I mean, making catches that I've never seen before. Um, I think they kind of cruise here. You know, Jets have been good up to now, but this is going to be a 34-20 type victory for Minnesota. Wow, I'm either going to end up in first place or I'm going to end up uh, falling behind Tony after this week. But I, I tell you what, I love Mike White. I loved it last year when he got his first NFL start, led the Jets to a win over the Bengals last year. Unfortunately, things went south a couple of weeks later through four picks against the Bills. But, you know, here he is back, and he leads him to a win over the Bears, completed 79% of his passes, 315 yards, three touchdowns. Most Jet fans are waiting for the other shoe to drop. But here's what you need to know. Jets defense is fourth and points allowed, eighth against the pass. Right? So if, if someone's going to shut down Justin Jefferson, I don't think anyone's going to shut him down, but maybe minimize the damage, I think it's this Jets defense. They're seventh in sacks. Kirk Cousins has been sacked 28 times, seventh most in the league. I think the defense holds him in there. Mike White does his magic. They pull off an upset. I'm taking the Jets 24 to 20. Our third game is the seven and four Titans going to the 10 and one Eagles. The Eagles are a four and a half point home favorite. Tony, the Eagles lone loss came at home this season. Can the Titans put a second loss on the Philly faithful? Not this week, uh, Chris. Uh, you know, uh, Philly just, they have too much talent. They, they got, they got talent on defense. They got talent on offense. I mean, uh, Hurts is just, uh, right now he's playing probably one of the best, one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. Titans, if, if, if they're not able to run the ball, I, you know, Tannehill is not one of those quarterbacks that's going to win the game for you. So I got to go with the Eagles. Uh, you know, it, 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 it'll be close at first, but it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be another blowout. I, I really believe 44 to 20 Eagles. Okay. Bob, what do you think? I like Philly too, Chris. I mean, they, they, I don't, the Titans just can't score with them. I think the Titans, I think Philadelphia scored about a hundred points more. Um, and at home, you know, they did get their only loss at home, but as Tony said, not this week. Um, uh, I'm seeing a pretty high-scoring game. I'm going to go, how about 35-21 Philadelphia? Well, guys, uh, to your point, that the, the Titans got one thing going for them, and it's Derrick Henry, second in the league in rushing. But you can't be a one-trick pony in this league and beat teams that are in the upper echelon. Titans offense is 29th in passing, and when good teams know you're going to run, 
because you can't throw, you can load off the box and force Tannehill to beat you. And the Titans' leading receiver is Robert Woods with all of 351 yards, only 75 yards more than Derrick Henry. So he can't carry the majority of the load, both receiving and rushing. Too much to ask of him, and the Eagles' defense are going to be waiting for him. So I'm with you guys. I like the Eagles 23-16. to Our fourth game, 8-3 and three Dolphins at the 7-4 and four 49ers. The 49ers are a four-point home favorite. Tony Tua and the Dolphins have won five in a row, but not to be outdone. Jimmy G and the 49ers got four straight of their own. Which team keeps rolling? Man, Dolphins are playing fantastic. Now, they got to go all the way out to the West Coast. Don't know if they're going to go be out there maybe two or three days before, but they should. You get get used to the time. But traveling all the way out to San Francisco, playing, playing, playing the 49ers right now, and the 49ers are playing some good football. I just can't see them going out there and winning. It'll be a, it'll be a good game to watch. Probably be one of the best games to watch uh, this week. But the 49ers will win at 37. A lot of points going to be scored. 37-34. Wow. Oh, I like the points this week, Tony. Bob, what do, you, what do you got? I think San Francisco wins their fifth in a row, Chris. I, I I think that's the best defense in the league. I mean, they're good. And usually, you know, you can neutralize a high-powered offense like that and uh, just score enough points on your own. I think they're, they're, they want to prove something this week. Um, you know, at 7-4, and four, I still think they're underrated. So I, I think San Francisco beats Miami. Let's call it 34-28. High scoring like Tony. Okay. Well, guys, I love defense, and the 49ers are number one in points allowed, number one against the run, and number two against the pass. Can't get much better than that. And I know Miami has the Cheetah and the Duck and Harry Kill and Jalen Waddle, and they're fun to watch. But the 49ers have given up a total of 40 points in their last four games, and since week eight, they've allowed the lowest passer rating and the lowest yards per attempt. So their defense is just so good, and I think defense wins your games. I'm with you guys. I like the 49ers at home. I think they win at 27-20. Last game tone is the 9-2 and Chiefs at the 7-4 and Bengals. The Chiefs are a two-point road favorite. Tony, can the Chiefs, always hard to beat, but the Bengals are right back where they were record-wise at this point last year. They're hoping to have Mixon and Jamar Chase back this week. Last year, they beat the Chiefs at home late in the season and then in Kansas City in the AFC Championship. Can they beat them a third time in a row? Another great game to watch this week, man. Jamar Chase, I, I think he's coming back. Uh, man, what, what he, he's been missing for a couple of weeks. Uh, they won last week against Tennessee. And you know, you know, this team, Cincinnati, they have great teams. They have a, a great offense. They have a great defense. But the only problem I, I, I look at them is, is, is their offensive line and, and, and getting, Getting this, the Burroughs, uh, if they get to the Burroughs quickly, uh, that's going to be a problem for, for Cincinnati. And I think that's one of the things that, that, that the, uh, Chiefs are going to probably be able to do is get, get the Burroughs. It's going to be a great game, man. It's going to be a great game to watch post game. Uh, uh, 27, 24. I think the Chiefs will pull it out. Okay. Bob, who do you like? Yeah, that was excellent analysis by Tony. I, I if any game has the, possibility of being high scoring at this one uh but i just don't see any team that can beat a team like kansas city three times in a row at this point i mean 
They're they're hitting on all cylinders. Mahomes is at a different level. Kelsey, when he's healthy, no one can handle him. So, um, yeah, it might be one of those things where the last team to have the ball uh, wins this game. But, yeah, let's call it Kansas City 35-31. And, guys, like you just said, Bob, I just don't know that any team could beat Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid three times in a row. Got to be huge, long odds against that happening. The Chiefs have won five in a row. They've averaged winning those games by almost 11 points. Mahomes is averaging 370 yards per game over that stretch. 16 touchdowns, four picks over that stretch as well. They're number one in points scored. This time, too much for the Bengals. And I'm with you guys. I'm taking the Chiefs 30 to 27. Tone, remind our folks about your book and what they can do to get a copy of it. You can uh, hit me up. Trying to get into as many schools as possible. Tone, enjoy the rest of the game, my friend. I hope your Patriots pull it out, even though you're betting against them, which I still can't believe. I just can't believe it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get the trophy back, Chris. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Either you or me are going to be way in the cellar come next week. We'll find out which one of us it is. Take care, Tone. Stay safe. All See the best Tony. to you and your family. God bless, guys. See you, See you Tone. That is the great Tony Collins with our five-star picks of the week. We've got our next guest, Vinci Glenn, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Vinci right on the other side of this real quick station. Thursday night tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. All right, now back and making it a baker's dozen number of appearances with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is one of our all-time favorite guests and people on the planet, for that matter, and that's Vincey Glenn. It's always great having someone who's meant a lot to us like Vincey has back on the show. Let me remind you about his background. He's from Grambling, Louisiana. Played his college ball at Indiana State, where he was a four-year letterman. Vinci holds the school record for career interceptions with 17 and the record for the longest interception return for a touchdown of 100 yards, which he did against Wayne State in 1984. The next year in 85, Vinci was a first-team All-American as well as a first-team All-Missouri Valley Conference player that year. He was also named the Missouri Valley Conference Defensive Player of the Year. He played in the Blue-Gray game in 85 and the Senior Bowl in 86 was inducted into the Indiana State Hall of Fame in 1999, was a second-round draft pick by the New England Patriots in 1986, and he played defensive back in the league from 86 to 95 with the Patriots, Chargers, Saints, Vikings, and Giants. And over the course of his career, he made 642 tackles, had 35 interceptions, recovered nine fumbles, and scored three touchdowns. And it's always a privilege for us to have him with us on Thursday night tailgate. Hey, Vinci, how are you, my friend? Hey, Vince. Gentlemen, what's happening, Chris? <laughs> what's happening? How are you, Vincy? What's going on with you, my friend? And I'm just sitting here. I hate daylight saving time because it gets dark at 5 o'clock out here, and I'm ready to go get in the bed already. <laughs> 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 I'm old, man. <laughs> I feel you, my friend. I feel you. <laughs> Vincy, like I mentioned in uh, your intro, you had 17 interceptions. At your four years at Indiana State. So you average a little over four a year. And then you have 37 more in your NFL career and average a little over four a year when you're in the NFL. Talk about your preparation and how you were able so often to be in the right position to make a play on the football. 
to be honest, man, I didn't I didn't touch the football field until the sixth game of my sophomore year. Uh, I didn't I hadn't played, and then the, those seventeen interceptions really came in two and a half years. And uh, I, you know, here's the funny thing, Chris. I was a running back and a and a, and a cornerback my whole time, Pop Warner, and even in high school. And then when I got to college, I became I was a cornerback. Okay. Oh, I never played safety. So after the first game, my, uh, my freshman, freshman year, I was on twos back up at corner and I backed up Wayne Davis, who was a 1985 second round draft choice to the Chargers from Indiana State. He was Missouri Valley Conference Defensive Player of the Year, Kodak All America. And I came the very next year and did the exact same conference he had, but free safety. So I was a corner when I went to college. And then the first game we played Wayne State, uh, not Wayne, not Wayne State, uh, uh, Central Michigan, up in Central Michigan. And we got mad, like 35 to like 10. And I was sitting on the, and sitting in the back of the plane, scared, you know, first trip. I'm traveling. I'm a freshman. I don't know how people react when you lose a college football game. That's my first college game ever, <laughs> you know, and we traveling. So we're on the plane. I'm sitting there. And all of a sudden, the defensive back coach called me up to the front. And his name is Bobby Turner, who's the greatest, one of the, probably going out as one of the greatest running back coaches in NFL history, who's with Shanahan. And I think he just retired because of some health issues, but been with Kyle Shanahan, was with Mike in uh, Denver and all the places Mike went, Washington and everything. So he calls me up to the front of the plane. Now he's from Chicago. He's bulky, big. And he says, and I just walk up there. I'm scared of him. I'm petrified of him because he already done made me cry in the <laughs> training camp. He already done got me up there sniffling. <laughs> he was just hard. <laughs> and he goes, I want my best. I want my best, my best athlete at free safety. I'm moving you there Monday and you better learn it. Now go sit down. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's how you. Man, I'm still trying to get acclimated. I'm 1,500 miles from home. I don't know nobody. I've been away for a month. I lost our, we lost our first game. We're getting landslides. Now, you telling me to learn a position I ain't never thought about playing in my life? <laughs> and I know what happens to players that blow plays in, in practice. The head coach, Dennis Race, he cusses you out and belittles you. Man, I'm petrified, man. Do you hear me? I'm petrified. <laughs> and I go over there and I, and I go over there and he trying to move me up the twos real fast. And I'm, I'm fighting with another freshman for threes at safety. A guy named, a call, a call out of East St. Louis called Claiborne. And they're like, man, don't you want to move up the twos? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Man, I, I ain't going to call plays and blow plays and be scared. And I ain't never played free safety. I've never played football from the middle of the field like that. And then to call the defenses and checks and they depended on me. And so I just played special teams because they had, I had, they had already committed me to two because I was a second string cornerback, but they moved me over and wanted me to be second string free safety. And so that whole year I did, I just played a uh, special team. And then the next year I come in my sophomore year. Now, I'm fully two at a at a 
as free safety. But the guy in front of me is good and he's a, he's a redshirt junior and he's a good player. He and he was a good player. So he started, right? And I didn't have no problem with that, but I knew inside I was better than him or at least I thought I was. <laughs> you know, I thought I could play, but you know, I'm a little grown now. And so every game, he said, you going in and get ready to play because he wanted me to get some experience. Uh, they, uh, Bobby Turner, DB coach. <laughs> so we get to game number five. He said, hey, Vince, I'm going to rotate you this game. He used to call us by numbers. Never call you by your name. He called you one five by number six. He said, one five, you ready? So I'm ready, man. We playing. I don't know who we were playing, man. And he said, uh, I'm going to get you in there. Third series. Man, third series come. He ain't say nothing, but I got my helmet buckled, man. I'm walking up and down the sideline. You know the old face you look, get like you me looking all mean, trying to look tough. I'm 172 pounds trying to look tough. <laughs> 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 you, know, you know, big old forearm pads on, I'm trying to look tough. So halftime came and he ain't put me in. So we sitting in at halftime and he says, one five, you're going in. Second series, second, third quarter. Oh, here I go. Here we go. Man, he called. He says, one five. Come here. Come here. And I run up next to him. He looks me dead in my eyes, Chris. I'm telling you, man. And he goes, you ready to go in? I'm like, yeah. He said, you sure? I said, yeah. He said, you ready? You sure? I said, yeah. He goes, no, you're not. I just see it in your eyes. Sit your ass down. As God is my witness, that's what he said to me. Chris, Chris, I'm, <laughs> Hey guys, I wanted to take my helmet out and bust him in the back of his damn head so hard. I swear I wanted to hear, I wanted to hurt him bad. I wanted to hear. <laughs> and so I ain't play that game. But the guy in front of me got nicked up. And so going into the next week, they like, all right, we're going to put you in because he nicked up. They got to play. Chris and the rest is history. The first game I started, I had two interceptions. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and then I, at, at the end of that year, I ended up playing five games. I had six in five games. I had six interceptions in five games. Then my junior year, I had six. And then my senior year, I was preseason All-American, and they wouldn't even no, throw nowhere near me. And I ran all over the field and got five. <laughs> and that's how I got <laughs> seven. <laughs> so how did they you were, how, how did you become such a great ball hawk? What was it about? You're, I mean, you're one of the smartest players Chris, that then, I've ever seen play about the game. It. I didn't know what a ball hawk was. I didn't know none of those things. That's just a God-given gift. So like Ed Reed got, Ronnie Lott got. You know, you got a lot of good defensive backs cover well, but guys that get interceptions, <laughs> well, I mean, for a long period, I ain't talking about one guy, one year, eight interceptions, they end up with 21 in 12 years, you know what I'm saying? Hey, I'm not, I'm not talking about guys that every year they around the football and you know they put your name up on the board when they play. Uh, it was just a God given instinct. I didn't know I had it because I never played in a position where I knew I had to go get it. But I learned a lot of things about myself as I moved to free safety. What I was good at, what I wasn't good at. But the biggest thing that ever helped me, Chris, was my uh, my football IQ, mm-hmm. to be honest. Just understanding what was going on around me and handling the moment where I can think and still, you know, make plays. 
I mean, I wasn't slow. Ran four four uh, eight coming out. I ran two times four four three and four four eight. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I and I just that's the instinct I got in college. Just went on to the pros because you know I set the record in college for a hundred yards, so that's the most you can get. But here's the reality, and that was 1984. And then in 1987, against the, the Broncos, against Elway, the exact same play I intercepted in college was the exact same play that I intercepted against Elway. Break Is that the right? And go 103 yards. Yes, it was double post. Backside double post. And I went to the second guy every time. <laughs> <laughs> And, that's that's what and so when I did it there, it was deja vu in San Diego, and I just ran. So let's take that a step further, because you intercepted Elway a few times. You got Gary Kubiak when he was, uh, you know, came in for Elway. And I got Red Brett Favre a lot, too. <laughs> yeah, talk about, you know, what was it about certain quarterbacks? I mean, was it familiarity? What was it? that lets you understand where I, I can see where this ball is about to go. Because they're going to throw it. They're going to throw it. Gunsling. This is how I rate the quarterbacks I play, play together, Chris, uh, the Hall of Fame. Uh, if you just want to talk about straight best quarterback I played against, I'm going to say Joe Montana. Just, just Joe Montana. Then you want to talk about a straight gunslinger? And just, man, just can whip it all over everywhere. I'm going to say, uh, Dan Marino. You want right? to talk about Dan Marino. Yeah. And then you going to, you want to talk about a, a, a guy that's, that's gun hole and can beat you with his feet and throwing the ball and didn't care where you were and throw it is John Elway. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, yeah. I, I just look at guys and what they brought this high breakdown running back as well. I look at guys that, in certain categories of what they bring to the table and you just gotta understand, like a Brett Favre, he's one of the most interceptive quarterbacks of all the time. You know he's gonna throw it. You gotta be ready at any time because he's gonna put that ball up and he don't feel if you cover or somebody near you. And a big thing like the DBs don't understand is tips and overflow. If you run to the ball every play and ain't late, you got a chance to get some tips and overthrows too. And that, that's another way of getting intercepted. Guys that don't get a lot, they ain't running to a lot of balls. Because they throwing it 50 times a game now, and they only threw it 28, 29 when I played. I could imagine now I'd have a field day. I'll put on track shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, questions for Vincey? Yeah, Vince, you mentioned uh, your your football IQ and all that. And I, I, I ironically, while you're talking about that, I was looking back at your, your early days at, at Kennedy High School in Maryland. And I saw that, you know, three of you guys, yourself, Eric McMillan, Mark Robinson, all DBs in the pros, uh, went to Kennedy High School. I mean, what are your memories back then, Vince? And you attribute a lot of that football IQ to back in the early days. Man, to be honest, and you guys can attest to this, in that day and time in there in football, it was just different, man. Yeah. You were just happy if you got a little write up in the blurb. We played football to get kicks and, and things like very few of us was like really football academically minded and stuff like that. At least, at least in the neighborhood where I grew up. And 
Uh, Mark Robinson graduated with my brother two years older than me, and I got to play with him as a sophomore on varsity as uh, as he was a senior, and he went to Penn State, and they won the national championship. So I always kind of looked up at Mark Robinson as my, as my kind of hero because I knew him from childhood, from junior high school, and all that, hanging out with him, tackling him in the backyard and all that. And he's my with my brother's age, two years older than me. But I always played with the big kids because back then it was just your neighborhood. Whoever lived in your neighborhood, they was the kids you played with. And, you know, you didn't get no age stuff. If you could handle it and be tough enough, you you just played with the kids. You had to be tough. That's all it was. I was a little bitty dude. But I'd go out there and tackle the bigger dude. Didn't matter. And, you know, back then we ain't put on no pads play backyards, running around football. We <laughs> and so Mark kind of like gave me that 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 edge and then when I got moved to free safety it was like wow man this is what Rob do but I never got advice from Mark Robinson and stuff but, but the guy that really changed my life was uh, Willie Shaw when I got to Minnesota as far as free safety uh, I knew a lot and, and had fun but he changed the game for me. Willie Shaw and Tony Dungy just changed the game. They just let my football IQ go. And being around and being there with Jack Del Rio and you know John Randall and them, and playing on the number one defense there, you just man, you just you got good and understood, you know. And I know what now. I know how defensive coordinators feel when they got players out there that they know the game. You when you got coordinators on the field that can get guys lined up, handle situations. And do things like that. Cause me and Jack Del Rio, you know, we could go in there. And I could, I could say, Hey coach, hey Tony, I don't know about that, that play right there and that, that defense. I don't, what if they do this? Well, they haven't done that yet, but yeah, but they could. You're like, yeah, they could. So they'll go back and look at it. Come back. All right. We won't run that certain set or something like that. So I always had an opportunity to put an input in based off. I knew my players and I knew what. How they reacted under certain circumstances, and if you were coordinator, you know how your players play and react. You didn't go out and call a good game for them. In fact, I noticed that your first year in San Diego, '87, where you had a great year with the interception return, et cetera. That Jim Mora was one of was the. Uh, yeah, Jim Mora was one of the defensive uh, assistants on that team, and amazingly, he's here at UConn, right down the road here. And he's basically one of the stories of college football that you're turning that program around. Everybody thought it was just dead in the water. Uh, what do you remember him as a coach and about that coaching staff in general? Man, I remember everything about Jimmy Moore. Yeah. Everything. Jimmy Moore came out of college the year before I did. So when mm-hmm. I got to San Diego, uh, Ron Lynn was the defense, defensive coordinator and the DB coach. Jimmy Moore had just came to the Chargers like a year before, and he was like a sister DB coach. Yep. My, my, my rookie year in 86. And then after 86, Ron just stuck to coordinator and let Jimmy be the, uh, DB coach. And Jimmy came to me and, to me and said, man, you got to help me with the guys because everybody's older than him. <laughs> yeah. Gil Bird yeah. and all them guys were older than him. You know, at least one or two years. So now you got a younger guy, you know, coming there and, you know, football was different back then because coaches were older back then. And now you got a guy in his 20s 
young 20, coaching in the NFL. And Jimmy and I became the best of friends. I was at his wedding with Shannon and all that. And we became the, he, we became the best of friends. And I love playing for Jimmy Moore. I've always rooted for him. We'll always root for him. And, that, and, and then in 91, after I left the Chargers, I went down and played for his dad with the Saints. And we had the number one defense in New Orleans in 91. And I had five interceptions with the Saints in 91. And I played for his dad, then I had to get on out of New Orleans. That was a boot camp. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> went, yeah. So the, Jim Moore ran, Jim Moore senior ran a boot camp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it hard for you to leave too. New Orleans yeah. then? I mean, that's, you're, you know, you're practically playing in your hometown. Was no, I hated New Orleans. I despise playing in New Orleans. But I love playing for the team because it's good, but I just did not want to be back. Just, 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 no. DC had become my home. <laughs> so let's no, talk just, a little I bit just, more about no. your your yeah. time in in Minnesota. You talked about getting to play for Tony Dungy. Head coach at the time was Denny Green. You're playing defense across the uh, the other side of the ball. You're trying to cover guys like Anthony Carter, Chris Carter, Jake mm-hmm. Reed, and Terry Allen and Roger Craig was on that mm-hmm. team. What was it like for you to go over there and be a part of that Vikings team and then trying to cover those guys at practice? Well, you know, when Denny came in, he brought in Tony and me, and he brought in a lot of different guys. Uh, it, he changed that team around. A lot of guys came in, different kind of guys. And they and he instantly built our character in training camp. He treated us like grown men. He let us have fun, but Tony Dungy made football fun. Tony Dungy don't swear. He don't cuss. He don't do all that. He just talks to you like a grown man, you know, with respect. And you just, you just instantly, and if anybody, and I've known Tony college, and Tony's been a mentor of mine since I was even at Indiana State. And I knew that Pittsburgh wanted to draft me, but they knew that I wouldn't be around when they really had a chance to draft the DB. And so uh then I got, so Tony brought me in to run the defense for him, and it just, I, I just fell in love with football. I really fell in love with football in Minnesota. And it was fun. It was exciting. I loved all my teammates. I loved the fans. And it, it, was, it, was, it was a good time. But having, you know, getting played with Roger Craig, played against, understanding these guys. But, on the 92 team, there's six guys that's in the Hall of Fame from that one team. You don't have some, some teams don't even have Hall of Fame. <laughs> Let's know. Maybe one guy, they got six. We have six. Yeah. On that team are in, are, are now Hall of Fame. Crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So that was fun in 92. And then in 93, we were the number one defense in the league, and that was just pure defense, man. That was just, that was the funnest time I ever had playing football. Because <laughs> it was hard playing defense with those guys. The character we had and, and, the, and, the, and the kind of mentality we took on and stuff, and playing with Johnny Randall, you look at these guys now, and I just look back and say, man, y'all were some bad dudes. <laughs> and to see like Paul Krause and Foreman, you know, Chuck Foreman and all these greats, man, it's like, man, Sammy White, man, it's like, man, 
Tommy Kramer just hanging out with him. And I love, I watch all the games when I go back every year with Paul Kraut. We sit together in the suite and we just analyze football. And man, to me, he's the GOAT. Anytime you got 82 picks, man, and ain't throwing it but 25 times a game back there, man, <laughs> man, you, you a ball hawk, bro. You just a straight ball hawk. <laughs> Let's see so one that, more. That's be- how I look at football. One more before we let you go, and I got to ask you, your, your last season in the league was 95. You're, you're in New York with the Giants. And instead of like you did early in your career playing against Dan Reeves when he was head coach in Denver and you're in San Diego, now you're playing for him. Coach was a big part of this show. He's a, a TNT guest Hall of Famer like you are. We miss him a lot. What, what was it like uh, getting to play for Dan Reeves? Man. Uh, me and Dan had a long history, to be honest. So Dan coached, uh, South. The Denver Broncos were the North coaches in the senior bowl when I came out down in Alabama, Mobile. And we played against Bo Jackson, Dalton Hillian, and all the SEC guys, big name guys. And we just had little guys over there, but we whooped their butt. <laughs> we whooped their butt. <laughs> so Dan was my coach. That was my first experience with a hit, with an NFL coach was with Dan Reed at the senior bowl. And so, uh, you know, I just had a respect for the way he ran. I, I had one move. You know, I, I, I grew up, my parents were strict and grandparents and all that. And I was born in the South. And so I grew up with that, that re- respect. Hey man, if he the coach, and he fair enough to tell us every, the beginning of the season and in the in the meeting rooms, hey, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, this is what you're doing now. You know the rules of engagement. Man, just go play football. <laughs> I don't have so I didn't have a problem with that. Some people had a lot of problems with that. I don't you know, I don't didn't always agree with the way Dan did things or game plans, I would say. But that was Dan team, but that ain't had nothing to do with me tackling and doing my job. And when I got there, I got voted captain. I got traded there and you, I'm playing Rodney Hampton, Michael Strahan and all them, but Vincent Glenn's the team captain. Wow. You know, so that was a respect thing I had there. And here's a funny story. I didn't like lifting on my legs. I didn't mind doing leg curls and that kind of stuff, but squats and jerks and all that stuff that them dudes was doing. I ain't never do that. So when I got to New York, the strip coach said, Vince, your turn squat. I'm like, man, I don't squat. Man, I'm nine years deep in the league. <laughs> I ain't never <laughs> squatted. I ain't living no, I ain't living no 360 pound man up off me. I'm trying to get away from my knee, my knee. And he said, well, we're going to have a problem. I said, we already got a problem. <laughs> Maybe think I'm going to start squatting and jerking and all that other stuff. So he said, I'm going, I'm going to talk to Dan. Man, you better go talk, man. He went and talked to Dan. <laughs> Dan said, man, leave Vincey Glenn alone, bro. Just let him play football, bro. And to be honest, in New York, my last year I played was my best year I ever played football statistically across the board, bro. I had five and seven. I had like, I think like 12 pass flexions, like three, four fumbles, two fumble recovery. Man, I just did everything. What do you attribute that to? That that was your best year not playing? A good, not a good, man. I don't know, man. I just was calm on the field and 
just had a calm about everything. It was just, but then, but unfortunately, I hurt my neck. And, you know, I had spinal stenosis, so I had to retire. But right. I, as far as physically playing, other than the spinal stenosis, running and all that, man, I I was just coming into my prime, man. I would have got the fifth. It was easier for me to get picked. I was getting five a year for the last five years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you do the math. Once I left San Diego, because in San Diego, we played man. Everybody knew what Vincent Glenn was in the middle of the field. You know, so it's like, ain't no surprise. But when you start getting with coaches that get creative and let you move around and use you to your best attributes and skills, you know, and that's why Palomar did what he did. Henry did what he did. Certain guys can do what they do because they give an opportunity to go and make plays. You're a playmate. But I've always been a playmate. You know, I, not that I thought I was, but, you know, I, I had skills. I knew that. I was always one of the best on the team or whatever sport I played. So, you know, you got some kind of skills. It ain't, you ain't foolish about it. But, you know, you just always, I've always been humble. Well, Vincey, it's always a huge thrill to get to spend time with you. You're one of our favorite people, like I said in the intro. You're one of our favorite people on the planet. We can't thank you enough for all the times you've been a part of this show and the contributions you've made. That's why you're a guest Hall of Famer. We love you, my friend. Thank you for being here. Man, you and Bob are so great to me, man. I appreciate you guys, man. And I just, I hope I ain't getting long-winded, but I like sharing my stories, especially with you guys. I'm a private guy. You guys know that, especially you, Chris. I don't really talk about a whole lot of football and get to my personal, but I like, I'm getting better at sharing my stories with people because it's not as sophisticated as people think when you become a professional athlete or how you get there. Just so many people and variables that have helped you along the way that, man, it's just like if you think you did it on your own, fool yourself, you know you're lying. So. 100%. Betsy, thanks again for being here in your time tonight. Merry Christmas and happy holidays yeah, happy to you holidays. and your family. We hope we get this privilege again soon. Anytime, pal. Anytime you want to talk to me, I'd love to be on. You guys have a great Christmas, man. And I look forward to talking to you definitely in uh, 2023. Stay well, Thanks, man. Take care, my friend. All right. Take care, pal. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah. That is the great Venti Glenn. I love that guy, Bob. Everything about him, I love him. I can listen to his stories all day long, and he's never too winded for this show. <laughs> no, 100% not. All right, we've got our next guest, Dwight Hollier, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Dwight right on the other side of this real quick station break. Hear your favorite NFL legends sharing their stories and insights every week right here on Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Take it away, guys. The door is locked. There's no way out. All right, now back in making his fifth appearance with us is former Miami Dolphins and Indianapolis Colts linebacker Dwight Hollier. Let me remind you about Dwight's background. He is from Hampton, Virginia, played his college ball at the University of North Carolina, where he was awarded the Patterson Medal for his athletic accomplishments, sportsmanship, and leadership during the 1991-92 school year. Dwight was a fourth-round draft pick by the Miami Dolphins in 1992, played linebacker in the league from 92 to 2000. All but one of those seasons was with the Dolphins. He played his last season in Indy with the Colts. Over the course of his career, he had 425 tackles, three sacks, two interceptions, and one forced fumble. He was named one of the top 100 Miami Dolphins of all time by SB Nation and Finn Sider. 
He's now the Senior Associate Athletic Director for Student Athlete Health, Well-Being, and Program Outreach at the University of North Carolina. And we are honored he is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Dwight, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming Welcome back on back. the show. Hey, guys. So great to be back. And I, I didn't realize this is the fifth time. That's that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I, but I, I I love you guys, and I, I, I you're, you're my, my favorite follow on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I, I really enjoy the conversations that we've had. We appreciate that very much. Right back at you. And, Dwight, I want to start our time tonight by talking about your role at North Carolina now. What are the, some of the things that you're doing to help the athletes there? Well, I, you know, first of all, I am so fortunate to be able to be back in, in Chapel Hill, uh, one of my favorite places on the planet, uh, and to be in service to the student athletes. Part of my role responsibility is the oversight of our, our wellness uh, aspect. So, uh, that is our, our strength conditioning, our, uh, sports medicine department, our sports psychology, uh, nutrition, um, you know, any aspect around wellness that touches student athletes. Uh, I, I work with a tremendous uh, tremendous team that, uh, helps support student athletes in those areas. Uh, and then I'm a sport administrator for three sports, uh, volleyball, women's golf, and track and field. And I'm a secondary administrator for football. And, and being an administrator, uh, is just, just means that you are the, uh, liaison to the athletic director for that particular sport. Uh, we have 28 sports in North Carolina and, uh, and of course the athletic director, um, oversees all of it, uh, but as part of his uh, executive team, uh, we, a, a, as the administrators, are um, his eyes and ears uh, for those sports, and uh, and I, I love each, each and every one of those sports, and um, again, I, I feel like a pretty, pretty blessed guy to have a chance to work in my alma mater to support student-athletes. Dwight, I want to get your thoughts. On, on your alma mater, on the Carolina football team, things were going along pretty well early on and then a tough loss to Notre Dame back in week four. But last couple of weeks, you know, back to back losses to Tech, Georgia Tech and NC State. Give me your thoughts. How do you feel about where the program is at right now? I feel good. I feel good about the program. And, and yeah, we, we had tough losses. Um, but every step of the season, um, you, you see the team growing, you see the team pulling together, uh, and you see them navigating the challenges. Uh, it, it's unfortunate that we lost those two games, Georgia Tech and NC State, against two, you know, fairly decent defensive teams, uh, and, uh, probably better than fairly decent. Um, uh, they, they played us tough, uh, but our guys fought. They fought to the end and, and they were really close games that came down to the last Play, um, and so I, I feel I feel confident that we're gonna play well this weekend and and come away with the ACC championship down in Charlotte uh, against Clemson. Uh, it's a really it's a tough team, it's a talented team. Um, we we have a, a redshirt freshman quarterback who is just uh, top of the top of the shelf. I mean, he is uh, just a, a student of the game. He, he, he works his butt off. He is the nicest guy that would ever want to meet. 
Uh, and the, the funny thing or crazy thing is, uh, his dad, Mark May, uh, I'm talking about Drake May, uh, his dad, Mark May, was a senior on the football team when I was a freshman. Uh, so I got a chance to play with his dad here at, at Carolina. Um, and just a fantastic family. Speaking of your time playing there at Carolina, when you think back, reflect back on your, your college career, what are some of the memories that stick out for you? Um, you know, the memories are not so much about football, but more about the camaraderie, the, the friendships that were developed, um, the, the friendships that, that still remain. It, you know, being back at North Carolina, I'm, I'm at every football game. And because of that, I get to see all my old, um, quite often. And, and I just love that. I love that opportunity to reconnect with those guys. Uh, it was, it was such a great experience for me. Um, and, and I may have rose colored glasses on about my experience in North Carolina. I'm sure that there was struggles there. I know there was struggles, but the, the things that really stick with me are the, the friendship, uh, the, the, the things that we went through, um, and being a one in 10 team, two seasons in a row, um, there, there was some, some, uh, some tests of our, our, our loyalty to one another during those times. And, and I think we passed it and, and we built a, a, a rebuilt program from, from the ground up and, uh, with the support of Coach Brown, who, um, you know, he is, he is a, a coach's coach. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome to see him in action. Bob, questions for Dwight? Dwight, it's always great to speak with you and kind to get off football for one second because every time I speak with you, I said, you know, and I'll tell Chris, you know, Dwight is one of the, more well-spoken, well-rounded people we've ever had on this show. And that's got to go back to the education you received at North Carolina and, of course, your upbringing. Maybe you want to talk more about that, Dwight, the emphasis on education when you were a youth and uh, your days as a student at North Carolina. Well, I, I and I appreciate the question. And I appreciate the, the compliments there. And I, I I don't know how much of that is, is actually true, <laughs> uh, but I... I I appreciate it. Um, you know, when I think about growing up, I, I, uh, education was emphasized, but it wasn't overly emphasized. I, I didn't, I didn't have to make A's and B's. I, I just needed to pass. And so I, I achieved that and, um, was pretty much a, a C student, uh, right on through high school, uh, until, um, you know, someone, Suggested that I may be good enough to to get a scholarship somewhere. Uh, I, it just wasn't on my radar. Uh, you know, I love football. I love flying around. I love smashing into people. Um, and you know, yeah, I eventually wanted to go to college, but didn't know what that was. Didn't know what that was like. Um, you know, I was a first generation college student, so um, the the pursuit of going to college just it wasn't instilled in me early. Uh, but I, I you know. Once in high school and, and, um, being encouraged to work on my grades, I was able to, to, to get them up to a level where I, I started getting recruited and got a chance to come to Carolina. And, uh, in my first semester at Carolina, 
I, uh, it was, it was, it was pretty rough. So I'm, I'm a, you know, first generation college student, didn't know what I was getting myself into. Uh, we go into camp and, uh, I'm being who I am, which was a, a undersized, uh, hustle guy and the offensive lineman and running scouting, mind you, and the offensive lineman hated, they hated, slow down, freshman, slow down. You know, and they grabbed me and throw me on the ground and, and, uh, and, you know, I just knew one speed and that was just go, just go. Uh, you know, eventually I got poked in the eye, scratched my cornea. Uh, I ended up with an eye patch. So I am a freshman on campus of the University of North Carolina and I'm walking around with that eye patch on looking like a pirate. And, uh, I get that patch off. Get the eye scratched again, get the cornea scratched again, get poked in the eye. Uh, I ended up spraining my knee and they put me in a, a cast from my hip to my ankle. And, and so I, I, I was a freshman that was really struggling on campus. And ultimately, um, ultimately I ended up floundering academics. And at the end of the semester, I had this conversation with, um, Guy who's, who's a, a mentor to me now, uh, was our academic advisor, uh, uh, well, two of them actually, uh, Brian Davidson and, uh, John Blanchard, uh, sat, sat down with me and said, Hey, if, if you don't get your grades together, you're going to be back at home in Hampton, Virginia. Um, and I just couldn't, I couldn't do that. There was no way that I was going to, uh, uh, go back home. So I, from that point forward, put in and, um, and spent more time in the library than I spent in my room sometimes. Uh, and, uh, fortunately my, my grades, uh, improved and, and, um, uh, you know, I got a couple of academic all conference, um, awards and, and which, which was cool, but I, I was just trying one, make my, my parents proud of me, um, and, and not go back home. At least I go back home without that degree. So take that a we step further, Dwight. Talk about your parents and, and, you know, the, the idea of I don't want to let mom and dad down and getting to walk back into walk the door back. all the, with all the great things that you accomplished. What did that mean? Uh, that, that meant everything. I keep a picture of my parents at, at my, uh, college graduation on my desk. I also took a picture of um, my parents uh, standing behind me with my little brother um, signing my my first contract to play uh, in the NFL. Um, two of the most special moments of you know just seeing them beaming um, with with pride was was uh, it, it was everything. It was everything, and you know my dad worked at the uh, the shipyard and in uh Nupa News and uh and mom was a homemaker and uh, a couple of odd jobs here and there. And um you know they never pushed me um into anything but always encouraged me to, to whatever I was gonna do, do my best and sort of the advice I, I give my my own kids now. Um uh, but I I I were I relished the opportunity to make them proud and, and, uh, I, I think I accomplished that. 
Bob, do you have one more for Dwight? Yeah, Dwight, I was going to ask you. I mean, I think I've asked you this before. I mean, your rookie year coming into the league, you know, Don Shula speaks for itself as a head coach, but your defensive coordinator at the time, Oliver Dotti, who I, I told you in the past, I mean, I just think he was so underrated as a coach. He would spend nine years in Miami and then nine years at other places. Um, but since he was your coordinator when you got into the league, how much credit did a guy like that, would he get for the decent career that you had? Well, I, I he, he definitely gets, gets credit. I, you know, we played a couple of different defenses during, during that time in, in Miami. And, uh, and he was, he was a, a sort of under, understating, stated kind of guy. Like, he wasn't space, wasn't yelling at you. Um, yeah. but he, he communicated and he, he did a great job of communicating through his coaching. And, and I, I think that that was one thing that, that really stood out. Uh, about Coach Alvadati is, is you know, again he, you know, rarely saw him scream. <laughs> uh, I saw a lot of other coaches scream, but rarely saw him uh, scream. And uh, and I think that that, that demeanor, uh, it, it 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 was sort of the demeanor that I I um, it, it sort of the demeanor I think I I have in in most cases. Um, which, you know, sort of, I'm not going to scream. I'm just going to put my head down and get my work done. And, uh, and I, I think that that was the way, uh, Tom Alvadali approached the game. Dwight, when you come into the league with the Dolphins in 92, and you join a team that ended up going all the way to the conference championship, you're coming in trying to make a name for yourself. You got, you're looking on the other side of the line of scrimmage at it. At a heck of an offensive line with Keith Sims and a, and a guy that, that we love a lot, Richmond Webb. You got Dan Marino back there. What was it like for you trying to come in and establish yourself at linebacker going up against those guys? Well, I, you know, I was in awe of, of, of just being in Miami. I was a, I was a kid in candy store. I, I love the NFL and, and, uh, you know, in the, the moment Don Shula called me and said this, that they were drafting me, I I jumped around the room like like you know you know like the the, the ground was lava. I just love the opportunity there and to be able to compete. Um, and then seeing guys like like Big Web and, and you know and uh, Keith Sims and, and Harry Galbraith, and Jeff Ulanek, like there was some some dudes that that could play football. On the other side of the ball, and having to go against them was was a real challenge. Um, and then you know my the, the linebacker that I was part of, you know, had uh, Brian Cox and, and uh, uh, well, not Brian Cox initially. Brian Cox ended up moving into the inside linebacker room um, uh, in '94. I think is when he started to, started to uh, play middle linebacker. Uh, but you know, guys like John Grimsley. And, and, uh, and the great John Offendahl, who, uh, certainly mentored me in my early years at Miami. Um, it, it was, uh, it was a team that, that was, was solid. And I think the 92 draft really added some pieces that, that they needed to, to, to really get us on, on a run. We, we went all the way to the championship game that year. 
and uh, I think that the young guns, they, they called us, uh, you know, Floyd, Floyd Vincent, DB, Marco Coleman, uh, uh, Eddie Blake, uh, Larry Webster, myself, uh, Roosevelt Collins, they, you know, all, all draft picks that year. Uh, and most of us on defense, um, helped us get, get further down the road, further closer to that, that goal of going to the Super Bowl, but not quite there. Um, but you couldn't tell me that we weren't going to go back. You know, my, that was my rookie year. Uh, you know, I, I keep pictures of, of things as, as I mentioned earlier. Got a picture of, of the, the rookie on the bench, um, right after we beat San Diego and, and the playoff game goes to the AFC championship game. Um, and all of us smiling, grinning like the Super Bowl and, uh, and then, you know, ran into the Mack truck that was the Buffalo Bills at that time. Um, and watch Thurman Thomas catch, you know, what felt like 900 screens. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, but it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I, like I said, I just knew I was going back to the Super Bowl. And, and, and you're right. Talk about those guys across the ball for me. Um, you know, getting a chance to watch Dan Marino in action and, you know, throwing balls, Mark Cooper, Mark Clayton, and, uh, Tony Martin, and, and Fred Banks, like, and some of the, some of the best throws, plays that I, that I saw were in my NFL practice. And the practices with the Miami Dolphins, and then the practices with Peyton Manning and the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, the, 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 the plays that were made that didn't Show on on national television were just as amazing as the ones that did. Do I one more before we let you go? And I want to get your thought on this year's Miami Dolphins team. They haven't been to the Dolphins haven't been to the playoffs, but a couple of times since you left Miami. But they're eight and three right now, and going into the season, I don't know that they were thought about as one of the teams that would be at the top of the conference, you know, with the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals kind of being the class of the AFC, maybe the Ravens you could throw in there too. But here they are right there in the middle of this conversation. What are your thoughts about this Dolphins team and how far can they go? Uh, I, I, I love this Dolphins team. And I, I think that, I think they can, they can go deep in, into the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, one, I, two is underrated. Uh, I, I think he, he's, he's underrated. Uh, you know, guys talk, uh, down about him and, and, uh, and I think it's unfair. I think he's, he's been a, he's been a competitor from the, from the very beginning, from his, his college days. And, uh, and I think he, he's elevated the Dolphins, elevated that offense and, uh, and you you sprinkle in a player here, a player there, and you know suddenly they're they're in, in contention. Uh, and I I really like it. I, I like I like the team. I like the defense. I, I think that they're going to be uh, they're going to be a force to reckon with with uh, in in the coming week uh, leading up to the playoffs. Um, you know, Dolphins have never been a, a winter team, <laughs> so. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna 
had their their struggles in those winter climbs. Um, but I, I I feel confident that they're gonna they're gonna take it. Uh, I I I can't get on the Super Bowl bandwagon yet. Um, but I, I think that they're gonna they're gonna do things in the playoffs and and uh, continue to win folks over uh, win over the fans. Dwayne, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing now and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? Yeah, on, on social media, you know, I'm at, at uh, dhall50 on uh, Twitter, uh, Dwight Hollier on Instagram. Um, you know, I'm not posting a whole lot <laughs> on, on Instagram. I, I, I do post a few things on, on Twitter, and I'll just warn you that I am a, I am a Carolina Tar Heel. So you're going to get all Carolina all the time. Um, you know, and, and, and we, we, we win quite a bit. So, you know, it could be, you could be inundated with, uh, uh, Carolina blue. Um, so just, just a fair, fair warning. Um, and, and, and uh, and then, then, you know, you can follow our, our Tar Heels at goheels.com. Um, it's, it's a, it's a great school. If, if you don't have any allegiance, uh, put on some Carolina blue. It's a great color. There you go. Dwight, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year. We hope we get the privilege of having you back on the show again soon. Great having you. Thanks, guys. I I, I welcome the opportunity to, to join you anytime, and, and it's always fun. I uh, appreciate what you all do and, and continue the great work. Thanks, Dwight. Yeah, very much. Take care, Dwight. All the best to you and your family. Good night. Man. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. See you, Dwight. That is Dwight Hollier. Boy, I, I, you know, Bob, first of all, what an amazing guy. And the, the things that he's doing now at Carolina for the student athletes there is amazing. But, uh, right in the heart of that Dolphins team in the nineties, boy, you know, you got to wonder if it wasn't for the Bills and God knows how frustrated we all were when the Bills were losing four Super Bowls in a row, wishing they would never go back. Miami, that's, that's the one hurdle that just seemed like they couldn't get over. Come playoff time was uh, was the Buffalo Bills. True, Chris, and he mentioned those names that he mentioned. It's like a lot of the other Hall of Famers we've talked to. You know, there's so many good players on a team that some are overlooked for various things, and he played with a lot of guys like that. But uh, yeah, uh, as well spoken a guy as we've ever had on the show, who continues to do a lot for the, uh, the younger people out there. So um, man, it's always great to talk to Dwight. Yeah, it is. I, I'm already looking forward to next time because uh, all the great things that he brings to the table, the great stories and the great uh, things that he did at North Carolina and with the Dolphins, and he continues to do now. Wonderful man. Look forward to catching up with him again soon. All right. When Bob and I come back, we'll be turning on our Thursday night tailgate spotlight on the positive. Here are two more stories about guys out there doing great things in their communities. We'll do it on the other side of this real quick station break. Thursday Night Tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. All right, we are back here on Thursday Night Tailgate, turning on our spotlight on the positive. Bob, who are you putting your spotlight on? Uh, this is a great part of the show, Chris. Uh, you know, you could pick from so many, but tonight I'm going to put a special one on uh, Texans defensive back Tremont Smith. I was reading a few things about him during the week, Chris. Uh, back at the end of September, um, he went 
uh, he wanted to visit a hospital uh, to visit some cancer patients. And uh, his mother is a breast cancer survivor. So he's one of these guys that always has that in the back of his mind. So he and his fellow linebacker, Garrett Wallow, we got to give him a shout out too. Uh, they went to the Houston Methodist Hospital down there into the breast cancer unit. And he just wanted to visit with people and try to brighten their day. Um, and uh, he met, he talks, and you got to go to the Texas website on uh, NFL.com, Chris. They actually have a blog entry uh, that Smith posted on there from that day. And you could almost see the emotion that he felt uh, between what happened to his mother um, and the women he saw there. For example, he came across a girl named Sherilyn. And, uh, you know, she had so much energy in her when he and uh, his fellow player walked in the room. And he didn't even know that he was just start. She was just starting her first treatment for ovarian cancer that day. But uh, she, to, to this day, she said they made her day by being there. And it meant so much to her to lift her spirit going through such a tough time. And there's a couple stories like that in the blog. But uh, at the end of it, he says they met a girl named Carolyn who just finished her last treatment for breast cancer. And at, as you know, the the, uh, the thing when people have their last treatment is ringing a bell when you walk out of the hospital. He was there when she did it, and he said it was almost a life-changing experience, you know, to witness it and just be a very small part of her celebration. So, um, you know, that was just before Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So I read this. Of course, I lost my mom to breast cancer, Chris. So I said, yeah, we got a shout-out to this guy. So. Tremont Smith of the Texans, a good player, but doing even more good things off the gridiron, Chris. Yeah, he is. I love that story, Bob. Kudos to you for finding it. Kudos to those guys for what they're doing and making a difference in people's lives. That's uh, that's exactly why we do this segment. And, um, Bob, this week I'm going to put my spotlight on not just one player, but I'm going to put it on the Colts organization for their horseshoe-helping Thanksgiving meal distribution event that they had just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, right before Thanksgiving, the Colts helped distribute over 2,000 Thanksgiving meals to local families in need. Defensive tackle T.Y. McGill, defensive back Tevin Mitchell, long snapper Matt Overton, running back Josh Robinson, and inside linebacker Junior Silvestri, along with the cheerleaders and the team mascot. They joined up with over 100 other volunteers to prepare and distribute Thanksgiving meals around the community. And Josh Robinson said, I've always wanted to give back. That's what I believe in, to always give back. And I was once there in that position, so it always does my heart good. So kudos to him for that. And in each family, they, they gave him a turkey, pumpkin pie, five pounds of potatoes, corn, green beans, stuffing, cranberry sauce, and gravy. And on top of all of that, Ten local churches received 50 meals for the elderly and those in need families who just weren't able to get out and get to the event, so they, they brought the food to them. U.S. Food supplied the agreements to the Colts, so kudos to them for being involved and, of course, to the Colts organization for giving people in their community an opportunity to have a great meal and also sit around the table and celebrate, uh, celebrate Thanksgiving as a family. A wonderful way to give back, Bob. I'm putting my spotlight on the Colts for that. I thought that was a wonderful thing they did for not only local local families in need, but then also to go the extra step and get involved with some churches because the elderly who just you know physically can't get out and get to an event like that, they brought the food to them. I thought that was fantastic. 
That is fantastic, Chris. This time of the year, uh, it's almost magnified when, when there's people struggling, you know, and we could have probably done an entire show on guys in the NFL that help out at Thanksgiving, you know, there's the soup kitchens, et cetera, where, uh, you know, you can go anywhere on these websites and, and see these guys who uh, give up their own time, especially around the holidays where it even has more meaning, Chris. So, um, I mean, again, that's our favorite part of the show, and I, I think this next month, uh, it'll even be more special because that's when people are really struggling and their emotions are high, but these guys continue to go out there and serve the community. Yeah, fantastic stuff. I agree. All right, my friend, it is time for us to put a bow on this episode of Thursday Night Tailgate. We want to send out our thanks again to Bill Ma, Tony Collins, Vincey Glenn, and Dwight Holler for uh, being a part of the show tonight. And Bob, as always, thank you so much for sharing your Thursday nights with me. All right, thank you too, Chris. Those are four good friends, uh, and we every week we come across four good friends because we've been doing it so long, but uh, I look forward to doing it again next week. Yes, as do I. And scheduled to join us next week are former Dolphins Pro Bowl wide receiver O.J. McDuffie, former Bills wide receiver Aurora uh, University head coach, and another one of our TNT Guest Hall of Famers, Don Beebe, is going to be back with us, as well former Giants and Chiefs defensive back and another TNT Guest Hall of Famer, Mark Collins. Looking forward to catching up with Mark. And then, of course, Tony Collins will be here with our five-star picks of the week. You can follow us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CT Mascaro. Bob is at Bob underscore Lazari. And the show is at TNT Podcast. Please visit us on Facebook as well. We've got a a page there for the show. Give us a like. That's very important to us. Plus, you can check out our website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com. And then you'll be able to stay up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. Plus, we give you links back to previous shows and guest segments. And you can find this show as a podcast on a number of great sites. We're all over the net. We're on Podbean. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify. If you've got a favorite podcasting app, we're probably on that one, too. Just type in Thursday Night Tailgate in the search bar. You'll find us on that site as well. Bob, take us home, my friend. Thanks, Chris. I look forward to next week. And we want to thank our great announcer, Joe Lajanusa, for the tremendous job he always does with our intro and ads. Also, a shout-out to Kyle Turley and the Kyle Turley Band for the upcoming outro music. And on behalf of myself and Chris, thanks to everyone out there tonight for listening. We appreciate you the very most. Until next week, good night, Kevin. Good night, Terry. Good night, Rusty. Good night, Coach Reed. We miss you guys. Coming down the mountain, I take a breath of sin. Can't tell the day or time, but I know this day will end. On a mission.